Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing The Lodge and the Taste of Things. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hey, Kat. Hi, Remy. How are you today? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. We're winding down the year 2023. Yes. So I'm trying to fit in as many movies for the year as possible mm-hmm. before we do our top five of the year. And also just trying to survive my final week at work before yeah. I get to have a, a nice trip home and see my family and just kind of uh, not think about all that stuff for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go hang out with Corey, right? Yeah. I'm staying at Corey and Cassie's house. Ah. That's going to be awesome. I can't yeah, wait. That's awesome. Gosh, I'm jealous. <laughs> um, But I'll be going through the countryside too, so that'll be fun. But Christmas in Pennsylvania sounds awesome. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a good it's a good place to be. Mm-hmm. You'll be in a great place too though. You're taking the train to Illinois, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We'll still be in like the suburb area of Chicago though. So a lot mm-hmm. less countryside around there, but yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, I'm hoping the temperatures will be much more moderate this year. Mm-hmm. Last year it was an insanely cold. Oh. Very 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 cold and hard to get outside. So yeah. this year I'm hoping to have a lot more outside time. Yeah. A lot more walking around time. I mean it's like 50 degrees outside today. So mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. It definitely doesn't feel like winter here yet. <laughs> it feels dreary like winter, mm-hmm. but definitely not bitterly cold, which is nice. Yeah. So you went and saw some movies this weekend, correct? I did. I did. I'm trying to fit in as much as possible. So I seized some opportunities this weekend and saw The Zone of Interest and The Taste of Things, which I will be talking about today. Yay! I'm fresh off of The Taste of Things. I just saw that this morning Mm -hmm. at the IFC Center, and I'm really glad I organized my schedule to fit that in before Mm -hmm. our final normal recording of the year so that I can dedicate my choice of this episode to it because it just absolutely blew me away. So I can't wait to talk to you about it. Awesome. Yeah, it looks great. I watched the trailer for it. So and I had kind of a hard time picking my movie for this week, but I've been wanting to talk about The Lodge for a really long time. So Mm -hmm. that ended up being my pick. It. I have no idea what our overlaps are going to look like, but it yeah. should be <laughs> fun. I like a challenge. Yeah. Um, have you seen The Lodge yet? No, I okay. still haven't. But I do remember speaking about it briefly yeah. on our original Halloween Top 5, I think. Right? Yes. Yeah, I think that's the first time I brought it up. But there's a lot to kind of get into with it. I think it's a really interesting movie and... I think probably the last time I talked about it, I mentioned that it came out right after the lockdown for COVID-19 and it went like straight to Hulu. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like a lot of people didn't end up seeing it, especially not in the theater. And it kind of got overlooked that year. So I hope that people check it out if they're interested in this kind of vibe, because I think it is just a really high quality film. Yeah, it's one of those weird movies that I just have never gotten to yet. Yeah, yeah. And it's 
it's one that I thought about a lot after seeing it, which you know is like a mark of a great movie for me. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gave me a lot to think about in terms of the choices that were made and kind of understanding the movie as a whole. So yeah, like I said, this film was a 2020 film. I think it was at festivals in 2019, but didn't actually release here until 2020. Mm. It was directed by Severin Fiala and Vic Veronica Franz. And um, it stars Riley Keough and Jaden Martell. Riley Keough is getting a lot of buzz for Daisy Jones and the Six right now. And I know Jaden Martell from um, his performance in the It remakes. And it's really good. The basic plot of the movie is that this family is kind of dealing with the loss of their mother. So Mia and Aiden Hall lose their mother the same year that their mom and dad are getting separated and their dad is wanting to remarry somebody that he had an affair with. And so the mom dies and it makes the kids extremely like reluctant to accept this new kind of feature stepmom mm-hmm. figure into their lives. And so the dad is trying to get the kids to bond with her. Her name is Grace and Richard, the dad, arranges for all of them to stay at a cabin over Christmas. Mm -hmm. And last minute, Richard is called back to the city for work. And so he just like leaves his fiance (laughs) and his two children at this cabin and they get snowed in. That's so rude. I would be so pissed at him. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot happens while they're all kind of snowed in at the cabin. There's a lot of really weird tension um, between the kids and Grace. And Mm -hmm. so she's struggling with kind of trying to bond with them, but also trying not to step on their toes. Like she accidentally wears one of the mom's hats and the kids get really upset by the Mm -hmm. fact that she's wearing their mom's hat. And she's also got a really troubling past. So she grew up in a suicide cult and she was the only surviving member of that cult. And she actually met Richard while he was writing a book about that cult. So that's kind of how their relationship bloomed. And so she struggles with a lot of trauma from that experience and a lot of, she's kind of vulnerable to breaks in her reality, I guess. So a lot of the movie, the audience isn't sure what is really happening and what is really going on, which is one of the strengths of the movie, I think, but it all ends up making sense in the end. Mm. And how old are the kids? Like 10, 12? Um, So the daughter is, I would say like eight. She's definitely a lot younger. Mm -hmm. And then I think Jaden Martell is probably like 14 or 15. So like, okay. You know, that like angry teenage stage. Definitely a tough crowd yeah. in that age range. <laughs> yeah, but the performances are really good. Jaden Martell is a, a very, very good actor, and I think he is definitely only going to be in really good things coming up. But I would also say that the young girl, I don't know who plays her, but she did a really great job acting as well. She has like some really great emotional beats. But I think that this is a really strong film. I really like the culty undertones in the film. So I've talked about a lot of cult movies 
uh, this year, or, or cult content this year, I suppose, like Black Sheep and The Invitation. So I really like that kind of religious undertone here as well. Have you ever seen The Empty Man? No, I haven't. You should watch that. Okay. I think you'd really like it. It's also on Hulu right now. I will write that down. It um, has very heavy cult overtones, I would say, (laughs) uh, threaded amongst a missing persons investigation. Ooh, that sounds really good. Also, with a protagonist whose reality you do not know if you can trust or not. Okay. Yeah. Definitely in the same vein as The Lodge, it sounds like. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I like the the cult undertones in the film. I also really like the winter scenery in the film. It's filmed in Quebec, Canada. So there are like these really beautiful, like snowy expanses and like the snow is blowing um, across this lake. And it's just, um, it looks very cold and very dreary and very ominous. And I think that their choice of location for that was perfect. And like I alluded to, there's a lot of moments where the audience does not know what's real. So kind of everything kicks off in the film when they all fall asleep by a gas heater in the cabin. Oh, Oh, don't do that. Yeah. And so things start getting really weird after they wake up the next day. Like the stuff is missing and... The gas heater's just completely gone, and it seems like they might all be dead. And so it's kind of them trying to figure out what is going on and if they're in, like, purgatory or whatever. And so it's very strange and gets, like, really intense really quickly. But there's also a scene where Grace just goes out and wanders around in the snow and, like, has a whole... I don't know, hallucination experience out in the mm-hmm. snow. So she's, she's really struggling. Um, and like her medicine is gone. So she takes oh, like, shit. yeah, she takes, uh, some kind of, uh, psychiatric medicine and she can't find the medicine. So she's just like in a really vulnerable spot. And I think we get to see a lot of range from Riley Keough in this role i think she does a really good job of like just being a nice young woman that wants to be a good stepmom but then she also has all of this like uh these moments where she's like dissociating from reality and not responding to the children and i think we just get to see her in a lot of really interesting um emotional states throughout the film she kind of has this descent into madness over time and mm. I think that that's really scary for the kids and the kids do a really good job kind of uh, thinking about (laughs) uh, their actions and uh, how they have impacted Grace's kind of shift with reality, I suppose. And I guess the last thing about the film that I really enjoyed is that I thought the children's behavior in certain aspects was really realistic they're kind of hateful and cruel to grace in very um kind of clever ways interesting and i i don't know like some of the decisions they make in this film i'm like what did you think was going to happen when your dad found out about oh what you did to his 
future fiance. Like what, what in the world do you, are you thinking? So, Jeez. yeah. So they just, they make some bad decisions in this film, <laughs> but I don't want to give everything away because mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. it's really good. And I hope people go watch it. Um, cause it's definitely a really good, scary winter vibe. Um, but yeah, I don't really have anything else to say on it. It's streaming on HBO Max now. It shifted to HBO mm-hmm. Max. So if you're looking for it, it's there. Show it some love. It's really good. Yeah, that definitely sounds worth checking out. I think overlaps are going to be tremendously difficult this week. I think so, too. <laughs> wow. We've been training for this for over a year, though. So this week, my pick is the 2023 film The Taste of Things which is a French-language film that is written and directed by An Hung Tran, uh, with a co-writing credit for Marcel Ruf. Um, names are going to be tough in this episode <laughs> for me again, but I'm going to do my best pronunciation-wise. It stars Julia Binoche, who we know from amazing films like High Life. Mm-hmm. She was the doctor on board oh, yeah. with the very long hair uh-huh. and the questionable medical ethics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and also stars Benoit and Majumel. And they play two French chefs slash cooks slash gourmets. I'm not really sure what the nuance is between all of those different positions, but you can imagine what I mean. Mm-hmm. And this film explores the most just sensual, beautiful, and challenging aspects of life through the relationship between these two characters, uh, a French gourmet and his head cook, who he's been working with for 20 plus years in the French countryside. And it takes place around the year of like 1885. So this is like the era of Escoffier, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're interested in the history of French cooking. And even though it takes place in 1885, the entire film, every moment and every conversation in the film feels absolutely timeless. Mm -hmm. So all of the same conversations that they're having about love and purpose and devotion and intimacy are the same types of conversations that people could and should be having right now, which I think is a very interesting achievement for a period film, because often I can get taken out of them kind of easily because things are dated in an accurate way, but in a way that I don't exactly find relatable. Mm-hmm. But absolutely everything in the taste of things could be happening today in the countryside anywhere. (laughs) And I thought that was just an immense achievement that something from so long ago, a story from so long ago could feel so contemporary and so timely. It was incredible. And I didn't even realize it in the moment until I tried to describe it after I saw it and realized that nothing feels dated about it whatsoever. That's amazing. That's one of my biggest qualms with period pieces. Yeah, same. And the first time I heard about The Taste of Things 
was when it was announced as the official submission of France for the best international feature film Mm -hmm. of France to compete in that category in the upcoming Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. So as far as I understand, each country can only submit one entry into that category for the Oscars. And so within the country, they have to decide, okay, what's our best film this year? Who are we going to put up? And it was announced that The Taste of Things was selected for France over Anatomy of a Fall, which I knew was um, won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this Mm -hmm. year, and I think was presumptive to be there. Uh, submission. And so when I heard that a film, uh, called The, the Taste of Things got the submission over Anatomy of a Fall, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> I'm listening. What's that film about? Mm-hmm. And I found out it's about French cooking and life and intimacy. And I was like, you know what? I'm there. I'm in. I'm so in. I love cooking. I love watching cooking, I love doing cooking, and I love learning about cooking. Mm -hmm. And so, just at face value, this film really, really appealed to me. And from moment one in the film, it absolutely delivers on all of those things. It takes immense care showing you the process of cooking, but with an excellent capturing of the energy and teamwork necessary for very high level very technically complicated french cuisine Mm -hmm. and so if you're like me and you've loved watching cooking since you were young shout out to Corey (laughs) for watching great chefs of the world with me (laughs) ever since we were kids a great pastime of ours um you would love this movie i guarantee it it pays such great attention and detail to the actual food photography and the energy of the cooking Mm -hmm. in a way that is quite different from, I guess, every cooking and or food film I can think of. So it's not like overwhelming and stressful in the way that the bear, you know, photographs cooking in a kitchen setting. And it's not sort of like trial and error, Julia and Julia type cooking photography. It is just these people that have been doing this together in a team of two for over 20 years, and they're experts, and they're both excellent, and they both trust each other so completely and admire each other's talent and prowess in a very caring and loving and healthy way without any of the toxicity that is associated with high-level cuisine in America, you know, right now. So that is at the forefront, is just the incredible cooking and eating and plating photography is exquisite. But something that is really interesting about the film as a whole, but certainly true of all of the cooking scenes, is that... Like, all of this cooking is taking place at a French manor, where Juliette Binoche's character and Benoit's character, I assume, have been doing this work for the 20 years that they've been working together as gourmets. So it's this classic French countryside kitchen. Very cool. It's so beautiful. (laughs) It's amazing. Every copper pot 
every stovetop, every wooden counter is it just so incredible to look at. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be in that room. It's beautiful. But when you're watching them working together, the filmmaking is really good because the camera work and the camera movement in particular captures the energy of this process in a way that I think a lesser filmmaker lesser filmmaker wouldn't be able to capture. So something I noticed even just seeing this movie once is that the camera moves a lot in mm-hmm. this film. There's a lot of steady cam, there's a lot of pans. There's even like circular pans like, you know, Copenhagen cowboy style <laughs> or that one scene in The Green Knight where mm-hmm. Dev Patel has been captured and tied up by Barry Keoghan, I want to yeah. say. And they do a circular pan across time. Just leave me there. That's scamp. He's everywhere. (laughs) But I just, even in the first pass, I was like, this is a lot of very deliberate camera movement choices Mm -hmm. that are keeping you at the forefront of the action, but also helping you understand that this cooking relationship and the service relationship is a very elaborate dance between these two people and the people that are assisting them as well. Mm -hmm. And the people that are receiving the food as their guests who are often their good friends. And that choreography of the camera movement had to be so precise and well thought out and well planned because We're talking about French cooking that has like 300 steps. This is all day cooking. And you, this would have to be your dedicated job to accomplish the dishes that they're accomplishing in this movie. And so there's so much happening all at once, all of these processes that three to four people are carrying out. And so to capture that layered kinetic energy while moving the camera to follow different parts of the dishes and how they're progressing through all of these processes. it The previs must have been insane, but the final product is perfect and just excellent attention to detail. So that's the first thing that I just (laughs) wanted to shout out. It's incredible. But obviously, it all ties in with the camera work. And not just that attention to the food. Because you could have great food process and make it very boring. Yeah. And this is not boring. This is a very thoughtful approach to depicting it in the film. Another thing that ties in with all of these great cooking action, but for all of the non-cooking scenes in the film as well, is that the sound editing and sound mixing is phenomenal because there is no score. So very much like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Mm -hmm. you are in this period setting where there's not even any diegetic music. There is just the sound of chopping and stirring and sizzling. And the wood fire (laughs) is always crackling in the background. Mm -hmm. And you can hear people's footfalls on the wooden floorboards. And there's always birds singing outside or (laughs) woodpeckers pecking or peacocks doing peacock calls outside (laughs) (laughs) all this bird song and the sound is just also extremely detailed and makes you feel so 
present in a tactile way because you're seeing all of this great uh, visual detail and you're hearing every stroke of a knife, every fillet. You're hearing everything that's happening, plus all of the great nature ambiance that's coming in from the open door because it's a French countryside manner and the door is just always open, which is also incredible. That's how I want my kitchen to be, just open door to the beautiful countryside. It's a dream. And the Foley work must have been immense, and they edited it beautifully. It makes you feel so present in the entire kitchen and in the house and in all of the eating scenes where you can hear the cutlery and the glasses clinking. It's great, but it must have been a tremendous amount of work. It's wonderfully done. And it also feels completely period appropriate in that there's not a lot of distracting music over top of everything. You're in this meditative state with the people that you're watching as they're thinking about the philosophy of love and dedication and what they love about their lives because they got a lot of great stuff going on there. (laughs) Um, Let's see. And basically, for... Essentially, the entire film, I was sitting there watching it and thinking, wow, Juliette Binoche, or Juliette Binoche's character, has the best life of all time. (laughs) Her whole job is cooking in this awesome kitchen with this dude that is like, wow, you're a genius. Like, (laughs) I love you. We love each other. This rules. And she's like, yeah, this does rule, but I don't want to get married. I would rather keep things how they are. And he's like, that's cool. And they just do, they have this awesome life for 20 years up until the time that we're seeing them in the film. And their relationship is interesting and obviously very devoted and fulfilling. And she picks vegetables out of the garden in the morning and cleans them by hand and has an immense appreciation for the dishes she's making and a great admiration for her friends that she's serving. And I just absolutely loved everything about her life. It was amazing. Made me want to live in the French countryside so bad (laughs) and just cook food. What a life that would be. Stupendous. Um, And... My other final highlight that I wanted to call out as something that really jumped out in this film was uh, Benoit's character. He is like the head gourmet of this manor. Like it's kind of his show that he's running there. But throughout the film, he has these four friends that he's constantly with. It's these four dudes from the area that all live in his, you know, town or hamlet or wherever they live in and they are just the best friend group of all time (laughs) perhaps they i don't even know how to describe it but it's definitely one of my favorite representations of male friendship i've ever seen on film in a way that it is just very understated but everyone is obviously ride or die and cares about each other very much without any hint of toxicity. Mm -hmm. And they all just 
really love hanging out and eating food and drinking wine and just eating 10 course meals and just going so hard for this food and having a great time, but also being very thoughtful about what each other is going through and needing. And it was what I was just one of the best examples of friendship I've ever seen. And I absolutely loved it. It goes completely unremarked upon. It's just understood that in the world of this film, these five dudes have an awesome friendship. And anytime anything is happening, like culinary event wise, it's just understood that they're all going to be there and they're going to go together and everyone's included and no one's left out because these dudes got to eat these (laughs) crazy good meals together. (laughs) It just works so well. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, absolutely loved it. And all of the scenery outside, they do a lot of lovely walks through the French countryside across different seasons. And I love how they captured the intertwining with nature. Obviously, I mean, they have a garden and all of their food comes from the area. And they have a a much richer sense of their immediate surroundings than many people in contemporary society do. Mm -hmm. But this film is so different from many of the films that I like and enjoy in that throughout it, there just isn't a hint of malice or suspicion or bad intentions. It's all about these people that have very clear understandings of what they want to devote their time and attention and their feelings to, and they pursue it unabashedly. And I just don't see a lot of movies like that, I don't think. I can't think of many movies at all that have that air and tone of it's not stagnation there's aspiration to get better and better and Mm -hmm. better and develop the next exquisite menu or invent a new dish to bring people pleasure yeah but it's devoid of like things that drive conflict exactly yes i was thinking about that throughout the film because there's very little conflict yeah And it's just a different way of storytelling that is distinct from a lot of the way Western stories or screenplays are written that are very contingent on conflict. It's a different approach to storytelling that is way more just soaking in the atmosphere, getting a slice of life, but still seeing important events unfold that are philosophically provocative for the characters in the film. So you have a very clear understanding of what makes these characters distinct in their approach to life by way of their reaction to the events that are happening, even if they're not crazy, um, you know, conflict-driven events. And I just loved that. I found it so refreshing and also very grounded at the same time. There's a really great line in the film that Benoit's character says, I'm, I'm not going to remember it word for word, but he's having a conversation and talking about how much value there is in the work that they do, essentially. And he says something to the effect of the invention of a new dish will bring 
so much more pleasure to people than the discovery of a new star. Mm. And I thought that really spoke to a, the motivations of the characters, like everything they do is about bringing people pleasure or experiencing pleasure. They're very like sensual, not hedonistic in a bad sense, but like they clearly place priority on experiencing pleasure. And that's really good to see. And all of that pleasure is grounded in sensual experiences in a way that a new star that's not going to help anyone do anything doesn't matter to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I really loved that conversation. And I loved all of the conversations between Juliette Binoche's character and Benoit's character about how they feel about the seasons or how they feel about wine or how they feel about their relationship and the love that they share and the role of marriage and what it means to lead separate but still intertwined lives. And it was just a seamless tapestry of all of those very high-level philosophical themes, but in a grounded representation with very tactile ingredients like food. Mm -hmm. And so it was just an absolutely tremendous film. It blew me away. There's stuff that I don't want to give away, even for the sake of finding common ground between our two films. Mm -hmm. I would rather everyone just <laughs> go in and just get ready for an incredible experience. And I couldn't recommend it highly enough, especially if you like cooking. I think it's great for everyone, mm -hmm. but if you love to see cooking, man, you're going to love this film. And it was also just a very emotionally resonant film. I cried. Everyone in the theater was crying. <laughs> it was a great time. <laughs> and please check out The Taste of Things. If you can, I think it's getting a wider release in February of 2024. But anytime you come across it, please check it out. I think this is going to be a film that I rewatch a lot of times uh, in the in the vein of Phantom Thread because mm -hmm. it's you just get swept away in the entire experience. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. I would definitely like to see that because right now it's just showing at the IFC Center in um, New York, correct? Right. It's just showing in New York and LA right now mm -hmm. to fulfill a theatrical release so that it can compete for the upcoming oh, Academy Awards. I see. Because you have to have a theatrical run in this calendar year to compete for the upcoming ones. So this is meeting that requirement. And then from what I hear, it will get at least a limited release in February of 2024. But I was just really excited and wanted to see it as soon as possible. And so when I saw that IFC Center had it, I made it a priority to see it. Nice. And I'm very glad I did. It is, it's wonderful. And it's definitely a me kind of movie, mm -hmm. even though it's, it's not similar to many of my other favorite films of the year, but mm -hmm. I love it just as much for that difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that you like that film mm -hmm. you're very um i mean like your youtube algorithm would be like yes this is a perfect movie for remy um yeah i think 
overlaps are going to be real hard for this. Definitely. But I have a couple of thoughts. So you want to get into it? Yeah, I think we should get into it. Yeah. So my first overlap that I came up with is that both of these films are kind of set in rural areas and like the countryside. So they're kind of more isolated. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think we could count as an overlap, which I didn't bring up, but is a part I really liked from The Taste of Things. Mm -hmm. There is a character called Pauline, and she is, oh, I would guess around 10, maybe 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And she is someone who hopes to become an apprentice in the kitchen that we're looking at. And she clearly has a natural talent and gift for cuisine. Mm -hmm. She identifies... Mm, I don't know, 15 or 20 components of a sauce at oh, a wow. blind taste test. She definitely is well-suited for the role. Mm-hmm. And I really liked her character and the way the adults treated her character because mm-hmm. they always treated her with the utmost respect and as someone with great potential. And she was never talked down to, but they immediately got her incorporated into the mix even when she was just there observing the first day Mm -hmm. so they explained things and were like okay hold this or look at this or come over here and see what i'm doing or taste this and there was just an immediate appreciation for her as someone that could learn and contribute and to me that's the mark of like treating children as intelligent self-possessed humans Mm -hmm. and i think i always appreciate it when a film does that in general and it feels like between these two films even though i haven't seen the lodge the children are definitely treated as intelligent Mm -hmm. and self-possessed people that are clearly capable of things whether they're good things or or more sinister things naughty children (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like that overlap that's great Mm. Um, I would say that another potential overlap is like a job or your work bringing two people together romantically and mm, intimately. So, um, in the taste of things, obviously these people have been working together for decades and have grown a really close relationship through that time together and that proximity with one another and in the lodge. Grace meets Richard by um, him writing a book about her and them needing to work together for that. I mean, you don't really get to see that in the movie, but that is what brings them together. So, hmm. Are there any wood fires in the Oh, lodge? yeah. Okay. I think so. <laughs> yeah, there's I, definitely, there's lots of fires, actually. There's so many wood fires in the taste of uh-huh. things. For warmth and or for cooking. Mm-hmm. And that's part of that lovely soundscape. You can hear the wood fires crackling mm-hmm. in the background in almost all of the scenes. And it's just such a good sound. I love yeah, it. It's, I'm so glad they included it. It's more ominous in the lodge, I would say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but still, it's but it an overlap. mood. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. Um I think that there's something to what you were saying about the lack of score 
making the audience feel really present and grounded mm-hmm. in what's going on. But I also think that the incorporation of a score in the lodge makes it feel really dreamy for the audience mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. of like they're detached from reality in the same way that the main character is. And so there's something to like score or lack thereof setting a presence for the audience, I think. Mm-hmm. So you could say that music is being leveraged in a way that, how could you put it? Let me think for a second. <laughs> yeah, so you could say that music is leveraged in both of these pieces to ground you. Mm-hmm. It's just in opposite directions. Yeah. So in the taste of things, we turn the music down to zero so that you're extremely grounded. And mm-hmm. in the lodge, the music is heightened so as to emphasize uh lack of grounding and a questionable relationship with reality. Yeah. I like that. Perfect. Do you have any other overlaps? I don't think so. I think we actually did really good on our overlaps for this. I think that's not bad. Do you know how long the taste of things will be at the IFC center in New York? Not much longer. It's just a one week run. Ah. And we're like five days through that run. Gotcha. Already. So, so by the time, by the time you're hearing this, I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. But keep an eye out for February. Keep an eye out keep for February. Radar. I'm almost certain Film at Lincoln Center will have it in February mm-hmm. as part of some international film run that they're doing. Okay. I forget what the general umbrella for that series of programs is but i want to say they're definitely gonna have it in february thanks for joining us this week on friend diagram thank you to tyler seek for the creation of our intro and outro music Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.